guys. <clears throat> I just had some uh, toffee from Greece right before I went live, and that was kind of a mistake because now I'm all... All right, well, I'm going to try not to do that the entire teaching. I will say toffee from Greece is delicious. All right, we are continuing our discussion from last week on the woman and the dragon part two. We did a lot of discussion on the eighth kingdom, the uh, which is the last kingdom. It's a resurrection of the Roman Empire in some form, some fashion. I talked about how I believe it may be a combination of the Western and Eastern Roman Empire, which you had the Western, which is what now is like Europe. And then you have the uh, Eastern, which is uh, Turkey, um, Constantinople, which is now uh, Byzantine or Byzantine, which is now uh, Islamic. So I'm thinking there might be a uh, coalition between the two sides for common purposes. We do know the eighth king and kingdom subdues three of the ten kings and their kingdoms, leaving seven that enter into an uneasy alliance with him. And um, so that was all Revelation chapter 12. And I want to read verse 10 once again before we go to Daniel 12. And so this is Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses him before our God day and night. Being thrown down to the earth is a bad thing for the inhabitants of the earth. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Okay, so I believe that this is John seeing what Daniel saw in chapter 12. And if you have not gone through the Daniel series, uh, I called it the Daniel Company. That is on the podcast for Destination Church. Uh, all of those teachings are also uh, here in my uh, Facebook. And you can find them also on our website at the Hub Apostolic Training uh, Center.com or DestinationChurchClovis.com. And uh, so let's look into Daniel 12, 1 through 2, and then we're going to skip down to 8 to 12. At that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Now in verse 8, I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. So I asked, how will all of this finally end? But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. 
Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials, but the wicked will continue in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. From the time, now here it is, from the time of the daily sacrifice is stopped and the sacrilegious object that causes desecration is set up to be worshipped, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed are those who wait and remain until the end of 1,335 days. Okay, so Daniel chapter 12 points out that a remnant will be rescued whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, implying at the very least these are born-again believers. Uh, they might be possibly Messianic Jewish believers because Jews have to be born again too. Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Jesus made that plain. So these are either Messianic Jews or referring generally to those who are born again. I lean toward the side of the Messianic Jews that will be preserved in the wilderness once the abomination of desolation is set up, the treaty is broken, and then it kicks off the last three and a half years or the great tribulation. Um, so if we go back to Revelation chapter 12, which I find interesting that it is the same chapter number as Daniel chapter 12, but where it says in verse 13, when the dragon realized he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. So like we established, the woman is Israel. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. Okay? So... If you go on, the dragon tried to drown the woman with the flood of water that flowed from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who did, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. Uh, now, again... There's going to be a remnant. We know at least one-third of the Jewish people will be preserved. And it appears that once the enemy is thrown down to the earth, he has great wrath. And so he turns his wrath against, primarily against Israel. But he also goes off after her offspring, which could be us. Now, we know that um, Daniel was based on a 360-day calendar of time. And so that would be uh, 1290, uh, 1,290 days. The 1,335 days is a 45-day discrepancy. Now, some uh, have said it's anywhere from 45 to 70 days. It is my personal opinion. I, I believe Scripture proves it out, but I just want to clarify that I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord, or that I have figured this discrepancy out completely. But it's my personal opinion that the 45-day the discrepancy from the Great Tribulation, the end of the Great Tribulation, until those who are blessed to wait until that very end, I believe that time frame is when the wrath of God is poured out. And the Jews that have been in hiding are going to be able to come out of hiding because the return of the Lord will happen 
where he sets up his kingdom at that time. Now, I could have things, again, a little bit skewed or a little bit uh, messed up. So, again, it's my personal opinion. Now, we know that when he returns, he is going to, um, we are going to be resurrected. And a lot of people are like pre-trip uh, uh, rapture. I have gone over that in detail for years. I would say at least two decades now that that is not the case. There is no evidence of it. I get into it big time in uh, the Daniel series. And it may be a shock. Keep an open mind. Listen to that series so that you can understand where I'm coming from. Um, because the word is not open to private interpretation. We have to take the word as the word is presented. So if I am correct that at the return of the Lord, at the end of the great tribulation, we will meet him in the air, both the resurrected and those that are alive and remain that are changed in the twinkling of an eye. We will return with him to the earth at that time to kill his enemies and to set up his rule. So that time frame could possibly be the 45 days. Again, some say up to 70. We know that at his return, there will be people who have not taken the mark, but they have not yet been born again. How do we know that? Well, if everyone takes the mark, when he returns, there will be no people except resurrected people. And we know from Isaiah, the last chapter, I believe, that there are those that are part of the first resurrection. And then we know there are people who are not uh, uh, in their resurrected bodies because after the enemy is bound for a thousand years, he will be let loose and find people to deceive and cause a final battle in which father will get, just wipe out the enemy and all those who joined his side. It is impossible once we're resurrected to be tempted like that. So it means that there's going to be two types of people at the end, those that are resurrected and those that are not. And so those of us who have been able to be born again before his return, that's why we're blessed to be part of the first resurrection, because once he returns, those that did not take the mark, those that are alive, including who I believe might be a third of the Jewish population, uh, they will mourn him as someone who mourns a son when he returns, but he will restore them into their rightful place as uh, Israelites, and he will rule from Jerusalem, and he will rule over them. So there's going to be those who are not resurrected, and then those who are living on the earth at the same time. So I hope you could see how blessed we are to be part of that and not part of those that don't accept the the uh, mark of the beast. And I have my ideas on why they won't. Um, I do think the Islamic Jihad plays a role in that. Not everyone is going to worship the Antichrist, okay? A lot of people, I think, think that, and, and there would just be no one left when he returned, <laughs> Um, once he got done killing all his enemies, there would be nobody. So we know there's going to be some people that did not follow the Antichrist at the end of the age. And they will continue to uh, have children, in fact, 
let me just give you some scripture because this can be shocking for some. Let me see if I can find it. Um, okay, so let me read this part first. But I will not destroy them all, says the Lord, for just as good grapes are found among the cluster of bad ones, and someone will say, don't throw them all away. Some of those grapes are good. So I will not destroy all Israel, for I still have true servants there. I will preserve a remnant of the people of Israel and of Judah to possess my land. Those I choose will inherit it, and my servants will live there forever. And then... Okay, and then in verse 22 of Isaiah 66, As surely as my new heavens and earth will remain, so will you always be my people with a name that will never disappear. All humanity will come to worship me from week to week and from month to month. And as they go out, they will see the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me. For the worms that devour them will never die, and the fire that burns them will never go out. All who pass by will view them with utter horror. That is a description of the lake of fire. So it appears that after the Lord establishes his rule, like I said, you'll have resurrected people like us, and then you'll have those that did not accept the mark of the beast, but they were not born again at the time of his return. They will continue to procreate. In order to keep them in line after that final rebellion when the enemy is let loose for a thousand years is they will be able to see into the lake of fire as a reminder not to rebel against God. And I know you may not have been taught this, um, but it's there in Isaiah. And uh, and so I just want to point that out. Um and that those who endure the 45 days of wrath will be allowed to live in his kingdom as long as they didn't take the mark. So let's go over to Revelation 1-7. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all of the nations will mourn, or all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, and amen. So the word heaven there refers to any part of it. It's the sky we see, it's the second heaven, the third, and so forth. So the war is going to take place in the heavens, and then the dragon and his angels will be uh, thrown down to the earth. I'm wondering if this might be the third terror. Um, I mean, can you imagine? Well, we know a little bit of the wrath he's going to have. Let's go back over to Revelation uh chapter 12 again because we see that where it says um verse 17 and the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children all who keep god's commandments and maintain their testimony for jesus like i said that's christians because it um it says they kept his commandments they maintained their testimony you could also say uh, in verse 11, where it's talking about when he is cast down as well, it says they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much they were afraid to die. 
The enemy is going to use the final ruler of the eighth kingdom, the Antichrist, to go after both Israelites and Christians. Okay? The only people who can defeat by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony are Christians. Israelites who are not born again, they don't, they don't have those two things. And, and again, listen to my teaching in uh, the Daniel Company series on the rapture, its placement, etc. If we will get that part right, then the book of Revelation will fall into place. And we're about to get to chapter 14, which I believe shows where the revelation or where the um, resurrection, I'm sorry, is. So verse 11 is key in understanding how the devil was defeated by Michael. The saints defeated him by the blood of the lamb, the word of the uh, testimony or witness, which is also martyr. And then testimony is four Greek words. One uh, is logo or logos to speak intelligently. And then martyria, which is where we get the word martyr and it means witness. So it's the word of their witness in the face of death with no fear that aids Michael in his battle against a dragon and his angels. Isn't that crazy? So this victory means that all of the heavens is cleared of the devil and his angels. They can't go to the second heaven anymore. They, you know, can't, you know, mess with stuff. They have to be confined to the earth and then the enemy, um, is able to take care of business up in the heavens. So there will not be any more demonic accusation coming from the heavens. And then the word great, where it says great is his wrath or his anger, that is megas. And the word anger is thumos. It means to move impetuously, particularly as the air or wind of violent motion or passion of the mind, anger, wrath, indignation. So what this means is he is just throwing a fit and he's causing problems everywhere like a petulant child except that he carries quite a bit of ability to influence people to do very wicked and evil things especially against God's people but he's just going to be going back and forth with anger and wrath and indignation uh, until the Lord returns and puts him in prison because he needs to serve a prison sentence for all the stuff he's done. But it's going to be very violent, very passionate. So that's why I think it might be the third woe. And then the phrase little time is O-L-I-G-E, Kairos, meaning the devil knows he has a small window of opportune time that's closing at that final stage. So he's got to move quick using the nations to complete the end of the age goals. Okay, so I've read verses 13 through 17. Um, now, again, verse 17 uh, tells us that the woman is indeed Israel. Um, you know, we've already established that. Let's see. Now, let's finish up in, ver uh, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, and then I want to revisit Revelation verse 18. Uh, real fast. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and war and its miseries are decreed from that time until the very end. 
Okay, so I don't believe this is an actual flood because the Lord promised that he would not flood the earth again with water. To me, it's the nations joining together in a flood of violence and war um, to destroy God's people. We also know from Revelation 17, 15, where it says the waters, that those represent masses of people of every nation and language. So anytime you see sea or waters, when it's referring to things in this context, typically it's people or nations or ethnicities. Um, and of course, you know, water can be the word. It can be rivers flowing out of your belly, which can be Holy Spirit. Um, so we know that other contexts can point to different things. But for our purposes, it is representing the peoples of the earth. Then in Isaiah seventeen twelve, it says, listen, the arms of armies of many nations roar like the roaring of the sea. Hear the thunder of the mighty forces as they rush forward like thundering waves. So the last ditch attempt in the enemy's small window of opportune time, because that's what Kairos means is opportune time. In that last tiny window, we're down to months, few years. He is going to unleash a flood of armies of the nations against Israel. It's going to be unbelievable. People are going to be like, what is up? I mean, seriously, Israel is like, I think, smaller than Rhode Island or maybe the same size or a little bit bigger. You, If you look at how small that nation is, the only thing that can answered the question of why is everybody against the nation of Israel? We're seeing it today with uh, the protests all over America that is supposed to not be racist. Our colleges have proven that for the last decades, they have been teaching anti-Semitic doctrine because most of the people that are protesting for Palestine are college students and college professors, or people that are from there. They're even saying that the stuff the Palestinians are accused of doing didn't happen. And there's video, guys, there's video. So we haven't seen anything yet, okay? Uh, that's why in Joshua, let me just give you this little tidbit before we finish up, because this, this is actually incredible. When I saw this years ago, the Lord showed me... Uh, this truth. So in Joshua chapter three, everything in the Old Testament is prophetic, even the stories. And uh, so they're about to cross the Jordan. And Joshua told the people, you know, to purify themselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do great wonders among you. So he directed him to have the Ark of the Covenant carried by the priest to lead the procession across the Jordan. And the instructions to the people... Uh, let me find it. Verse 14. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan. And the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now listen to this about the Jordan. It was the harvest season. Remember, Jesus said the harvest is the end of the age. And the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge... The water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam. Guys, 
Ah, that's crazy. The Jordan emptied into the Dead Sea. So the Jordan overflowing at the harvest is symbolic of death overflowing. So when they saw the ark, their instructions were to stay 2,000 cubits behind, which I find interesting, because they had not gone that way before, is what Joshua said. So they had to keep their eyes on the ark. We know that Jesus Christ is the ark. Uh, 2,000 cubits behind them. They put their feet feet in the overflowing Jordan that was overflowing with death at the harvest time, which is the end of the age. And the waters rolled back all the way to Adam. It's powerful. Powerful. But the main point is we are going to be surrounded by death. Guys, we have got to learn to purposely make ourselves uncomfortable. We are very fortunate in this country. I mean, I walk around my home and I am so grateful and so amazed at what the Lord has done. Um, Not without trials. You know, we all have them. But it's just amazing how good he is. Thankfulness, a love for the truth, a humility, being teachable, being flexible. These are all very important things. But at the same time, we need to make ourselves uncomfortable. We need to make our body uncomfortable but by not giving it everything it wants. We need to make it uncomfortable by exercising. Can you imagine the state of most people today if we were having to you know, live at the end of the age and travel great distances on foot or fight off enemies? We've got to make ourselves uncomfortable mentally and emotionally. We need to make ourselves uncomfortable spiritually where we are boldly transparent, where we don't hide anything, where we don't excuse anything, where we don't create entire narratives and stories around sin and and think that, you know, we're okay or that God is uh, telling us to do something that we know the word clearly says he is not telling us to do. There's, go- there's going to be a great deception and delusion coming at the end of the age. And the best thing that we can do, and actually it's already hitting, but the best thing that we can do is stay as close to God, be ruthless with anything that we know is contrary to him, and keep ourselves uncomfortable. So important. So important. Okay, so let's finish with Revelation twelve eighteen, where it says, Then the dragon took his stand on the shore by the sea. The word stand is histamine, where we get the word antihistamine. So the devil takes a position of resistance beside the sea. Some manuscripts do say that John took his stand by the sand of the sea to see the beast rise up out of it. I think that any can be true. Any of those can be true. So um, we finish with chapter 12. We'll get into chapter 13. Um, Man, things are heating up in the land of Revelation. But remember this, the book of Revelation is a revelation of the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the apocalyptic unveiling, the apocalypsis. It means to take off the cover. And um, it's not a revelation of the Antichrist. The reason the Antichrist shows up, the reason the devil gets all fussy, is because he knows his end is near. And uh, the tribulation is not God's wrath. It's the enemy's wrath. Okay? And when we understand that, things fall into place a lot easier for us in interpreting the book. 
So uh, chapter 13 gets into the two beasts, the one from the earth and the one from the sea. And so we'll we'll dive into those uh, for sure. And then I'm very excited about 14 because I can pinpoint where the rapture occurs. And it's exactly described how Jesus or the angels said he would return. So interesting things there. Obviously, we won't have a study next week because it's Thanksgiving. Uh, I will be out of town. Uh, so have a great time with your family. Uh, don't be nervous by studying Revelation. Don't be nervous by anything. Just you know, cling to the Lord. Um, be ruthless with sin. Be ruthless with any, uh, you know, just ask the Lord to show you if you're deceived. Because the problem with deception is you don't know. So you have to ask the Lord to show you. Um, most people that are deceived are not brave enough to do that. If you're brave enough to ask the Lord to show you any areas where you're deceived, then you have a huge, huge plus as far as uh, finishing well, finishing your race, and finishing your purpose. Okay, so have a great Thanksgiving, and I'll see you the week after.